So my sobriety date is July 1st, 2003. And uh, I just took 20 years on Saturday. Crazy. Crazy. I have no idea where we're going tonight, everyone. So hopefully it'll all make sense at the end, but I'll probably jump around a lot. It'll be like a Quentin Tarantino chop up. And, uh, and then by the end, hopefully there's some, something that makes sense to you. My dad was a bad alcoholic, man. And, and uh, for whatever reason, he just couldn't get it. He's one of the people that don't get it. You all know someone who hasn't gotten it, you know, and I don't know if there's a radio back in the day before we had all these smart cars, these cars had an antenna to get the radio. And if you broke that antenna, you couldn't pick up a signal. It just sucked. Right. And so I can sense that maybe there's a couple of broken antennas in the crowd tonight and uh, there's a way to fix that. You know, if you don't have, if you don't feel love in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think it's, I believe it's because you aren't tuned to the right frequency and uh, not because it isn't there because only very few of us can hear the AM radio waves right now. Right. And uh, you need to tune to it, but it's all around us. And that's kind of been the journey of the 12 steps for me is my perception has changed. I've been able to see things differently and those things haven't changed very much at all. I remember, so when I was 18 years old, I got kicked into Alcoholics Anonymous through an all male sober living home. And I remember showing up there, I smoked, a, you know, I couldn't drink because my mom had a padlock on her liquor cabinet. And I was on so many antipsychotic medications and antidepressants and mood stabilizers and anti-anxiolytics and tranquilizers for sleeping at night for the last decade right, of that since I was about 10 years old, um, that I couldn't drink hard liquor without developing violent abdominal cramps. Like it felt like an alien was going to burst through my solar plexus, you know? And so because of that, when I first started drinking and experimenting with things like vodka and rum, my stomach would hurt so bad, but I only did it about 30 or 40 times because, you know, I discovered malt liquor. So Steel Reserve 211 was my drink of choice. They did not try to fancy it up. I was not a fan of the hopsy taste. I, didn't, I was not a connoisseur. I've never been an Epicurean of any kind, except for maybe in literature. And I just did not like, I like drunk. I don't like drinking, right? I just, so whatever you got, whatever you got, because I'm after a shift of consciousness, but I didn't really have the vocabulary. So it's interesting, always having time sober, coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, and talking about sobriety with a vocabulary that you didn't have when you were having the experience of being an alcoholic. So when you're new and you hear us talk about it, you're like, oh, that's what, that's what the feeling I have is, but you don't really know how to explain it, you know? And here we get a way to help explain the way we felt our entire lives, you know, at least me. And I, and I don't know how to give you new people, all you people who are here. Some of you I talked to at the break or introduced myself. I don't know how to give you enthusiasm for your own sobriety. I don't know how to do it. I wish that was one gift that all of us could give other people is how to be enthusiastic about a second chance, right? But if I can give you one thing or, 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 or pray that you can find one thing, it's some enthusiasm for having two freaking legs to walk through that door. You know, and two arms to grab and shake someone's hand and two eyes to see and two ears to hear. Right now, we could go to that bathroom and we could crack open the top of a toilet and have water that's potable that we could drink. 
right? We could go to the store right now. We don't have any money. We could go get a program on the government. Maybe not in Orange County, just joking. But like, you know, we can go get on a program in the government, go down to the store. And there's 17 different types of almonds you can use to swipe your card and bring home food. You know, we have so much abundance, a profundity of abundance. We have a lot to be grateful for if you're looking low enough. You know, I got, I'm, we're breathing. And as long as you're breathing, you're in the game. So if you're new, I don't know what your story is or how much pain you have or what all the suffering is that you're going through right now. But I had a lot of suffering when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, I had so much of it that I thought that my suffering had very little to do with my drinking. I thought it had to do with my childhood, my upbringing, all the abuse, all the, the mental institutions, all the stuff that I'd been in and out of. You know, when I was 12 years old, my mom didn't know what to do with me, okay? My dad was a drunk, like I said. He couldn't get it. My mom left my dad when I was two years old. You know, he did stuff like drive with me, pick me up from the babysitters, completely drunk, and ran through six people's lawns and mailboxes with me in the front seat, you know, at one and a half years old. Like, my dad was a well-meaning dude who was super smart and super compassionate when he, was drink when he wasn't drinking. He was the guy who would paint the garage of the widow after her husband had passed away, right after winter. And I'm from Washington State originally. I was born like 30 miles as crow flies from Mount Rainier. And, um, and my dad uh, would help old women across the road. He was a naval medic, right? And his Navy career was cut short when he started selling cocaine on the aircraft carrier to make a little extra scratch. Uncle Sam wasn't paying the bills, right? And he was, after his medical training, he went into med school. And while he was there, he got caught stealing morphine and he got let go and he couldn't pursue a career in medicine. But he always had that caretaker mentality, right? So if you're here and you're an alcoholic and you're drunk and you think, I don't identify with all this selfishness because I'm a compassionate person. There's a lot of us who are givers, right? But there's the part in the book, if you've ever read that thing that puts you to sleep when you're new, the big book, there's a part in there where it talks about, you know, the, the, that you can still be quite virtuous and kind. The actor may be quite virtuous and kind, and it's still self-centeredness. I'm still just being kind to you so I can get what I want. So you can shut the hell up and leave me alone and let me get back to it. What I am doing is transactional kindness, game theory, evolutionary biology, right? I'm going to give you one peanut. Hopefully you're going to give me two peanuts. Or when I need a peanut, I'll come back and get one. But I'll tell you what, how you really shake things up is going, <laughs> I'll give you a peanut when I come ask for it. Don't give me a peanut. and Let's see how long we remain friends. You know, I'll burn the village down. And uh, this is a real, this, this podium is basically like my program. Uh, my, my spiritual well-being is going to fall apart. Um, I think, I think that's pretty good metaphor for most people who think they know something in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm one of them. I'm one of them. So, cause I do know some stuff, man. Well, what I really know is that there's a unique experience that you get to have if you decide to take the 12 steps. And I'm talking mostly to unique new people or people who may have had one flavor of AA, right? Because I came into AA and I had one flavor of AA in the very beginning. It was incredibly structured. It was real in your face. It was intense. It was rigorous work with other alcoholics. It was reading the big book and the service manual and the 12 and 12 uh, endlessly, week by week by week by week by week. In the first three, four years of my sobriety, I must have listened to 55th steps. You know, I was just really heavily involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and I used it like a pendant. Um, and it sponsored the world, working with the wet drunks, ripping car keys out of their hands in front of the Alano Club, taking them, putting them on the couch, giving them orange juice and honey, thinking you old timers had lost your edge. 
shaking everyone's hand, trying to glad hand, be nice, lazy, 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 lazy. I'm the one who's really doing the work with the drunks. That's kind of the intensity. I was a zealot. I don't know if you can get that vibe. Uh, you know, but I'm not so much a zealot anymore. And real quick, Anoush, you knocked it out of the park, bro. Thanks for priming the pump, baby. Um, and, uh, and, and happy birthday. Happy birthday. Two years is a big deal, man. Um, when I had about two years, I think two years and change, it's when I was the treasurer at the Wednesday night speakers meeting. And at the time I was uh, a handyman at a property management company and I didn't know how to fix anything. They'd hired me because I was trying to get this newcomer a ride to the hospital. I was walking around on a broken leg and some guy I asked, I was trying to pawn out this newcomer, right? Because again, I, not only am I intensely working with alcoholics, but I'm incredibly self-righteous and judgmental at the same time. You've all met them. You've all probably, some of you at one point in your sobriety were them. Um, and, and so I'm looking for someone and there's a guy's like, oh, you know, I'm going out with my sponsor tonight after the meeting, we're going out to dinner. But, uh, and I'm like, who gives a shit? A newcomer needs a ride, <laughs> you know, that's ultimate. And he says, well, let me take you back here. I mean, you need to borrow five bucks. I never thought to ask for help. So he walks me back to the van and he hands me five bucks. He said, this is Bill's money. So you're going to have to pay me back. I'm treasurer at the 11 a.m. and stag meeting. But by the way, you need a job. And that's how I got the job. And the first day of that job, now by this time, I was working at Guitar Center. It was my first and only job after I got out of the all-male sober living home that was like a Stepford's Wives, with Stepford Wives camp, right? I felt like Alcoholics Anonymous was just filled with a bunch of lemmings. You guys were all too cheap to afford therapy. You got together and you coddled your petty achievements in life, right? You got your driver's license back at 48 years old. Great job, right? I just was this jaded, sardonic, I just was mean. I was brutally mean to people a lot. And I used my brain like a bully would to hurt people with. And instead of help them find solutions or try to make the world better, or try to turn that intellect against myself, against its own intellect to kind of reduce it into a state of silence in which maybe for a second, I might be able to hear the truth in the silence. But I didn't do any of that. I was just a prick. So I get... <laughs> I get this job and I'm sitting there and I'm, and, and, and I'm about to, uh, he says, Hey, here's your first interview. They interview me. They're like, do you have any tools? I'm like, no. They're like, do you know how to fix anything? I'm like, no. And they're like, all right, well, you can hold our tools and we'll teach you how to fix stuff. So be here tomorrow at this time. For, now for six months, I hadn't had a job. I was going to, but here's the thing about it. Your life could be a total train wreck. Mine was at two years sober, but I was going to meetings and I was sponsoring people. I would still open up the book and we'd still discuss the truth in the best way we could. And I'd still listen to the fifth step and I'd still take the call and I'd still meet him there at six. So if you don't have it all together, I'm just letting you know, it gets, you just keep showing up no matter what. I don't have it all together. First day of work, I miss it. I've been sleeping every day for the last six months. I've been going to bed at 11 a.m., waking up in time for my 6 p.m. meeting. I'm on vampire schedule, slowly going to like the last VHS cassette rental place that's open in the South Bay and getting five new horror movies and going down the entire row, right? So every night I'd watch two or three horror movies. I'd fall asleep, wake up, go to my meeting or play video games or whatever. My life was just a mess. I missed the first day of work. And man, I feel low. I feel so low. This guy went out on a limb for me. I don't have any experience and I didn't show up for the first day of work. Now, something you should know about me is I've always had a hard time sleeping. 
I would sleep like a log. And when I woke up in my sober living home, they thought I had narcolepsy because they would just lift, they would lift, lift up my mattress. I'd roll into the wall and I wouldn't wake up. And I've always had this problem. I had four different alarms set in different sequences at different areas of my room. I'd sleep through all of them. I had one of the, I bought one, my mom bought me one of those old ones that have the bells on top that ring. I'd sleep through it. And here I am sleeping through it. That guy who's still sober to this day, a guy named Mike Steele, he said, come sleep at my house, Junior. Come sleep in my house and, uh, and you can get the first day of work with me. I go to his house. It's a converted laundry room in Hermosa Beach. It literally is maybe four and a half feet wide by 10 feet long with a little off kitchen. And I sleep. I can barely fit my shoulders between his single bed and the wall. And I'm sitting there all night. My mind is racing. How am I going to? And I go to work the next day. And I'm so tired because I got like three hours of sleep. And he said, all right, Junior, tonight you got to sleep at your own place. I'll see you tomorrow, question mark. And I'm like, yeah, you'll see me tomorrow. And I go home and I'm afraid because my whole life I haven't been able to wake up. And I've been, just spent six months completely resetting my biological clock. And I get on my knees and I beg God, whatever I thought of God at that time as. And I just said, please help me wake up. Please, these guys took a chance. And, and the prayer wasn't for my pride because that was already destroyed. I missed the first day of work. <laughs> you know, like there's no coming back from that. And I prayed because these people were taking a chance on me and this guy had given his word for me and I didn't want to humiliate them. I didn't want to humiliate this guy. And I really just didn't want them. I didn't want it. It was for them. It wasn't for me. I didn't have any experience or any tools for this job position. And ever since that prayer, I woke up, I've been able to wake up to the sound of an alarm forever when I couldn't for my whole life. It's weird. I don't know what that is. I'm not a religious person. I think that religion is a beautiful thing. And it's, a, it's one of the many methods to the truth. That's why there are so many of them, you know? And I think that Alcoholics Anonymous is another method to the truth. And I think that we've done such a good job of being so open-minded in Alcoholics Anonymous that you can dual method, you can double dip. You know, you can do as many other things in spirituality as you want. There should be no conflict here. You want to meditate. You want to be a Buddhist. You want to be a Hindu. You want to go on silent retreats. You want to do the, you know, uh, 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 self-awareness method. You want to do the, you want to go Ramana Maharshi. You want to go Ram Das. You want to go, you know, Seventh-day Adventist. You want to do, go out with the Phelpses and do, you know, that whole thing with the Westboro Baptist Church. By all means, I mean, do what you're going to do. There's, we don't have an issue with that in Alcoholics Anonymous. You want to be an atheist. You want to believe in a principled life. We don't have a problem with that here. Some people do, but that's them. Alcoholics Anonymous in its foundation doesn't have a problem with that. We ask only that you have an honest desire to stop drinking. We ask only that you continue to show up and try your best and keep an open mind. That's it. So if you're new, try your best, show up, keep an open mind, and you will have the experience. So at this two and a half years, and, I'm, and now fast forward, I'm asking this guy for money, and I was the treasurer at the Wednesday night speaker meeting. And as I finally got this job that paid hardly anything, and I would just chain smoking on ladders doing maintenance all day, I would think to myself, I had this, I got elected treasurer, and I had this big bucket of money I was carrying around with me every week. And one week, I didn't have any cash on me, and I used that cash for, to fill up my gas tank. And I thought, hey, it's a loan. And it was so much easier to spend that money than it was to spend my own because I was so financially insecure. Literally, how many of you guys would go out? There's people who are still doing it, which I've been there and lived there for many years. And there's people who have surpassed it now. But whenever I used to go out to eat, I would look at what the price was, not what the food was. Not what I was hungry for. I was absolutely 100% focused on the price and what 
at that price negatively would be against me and my limited supply. I saw the world in a scarcity model. Everything was scarcity. I need four. I need five, right? Don't tell the neighbors. Don't invite anyone over. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Protect yourself at all costs because no one, you can't trust anyone. The world is run by lunatics. And, you know, if I don't protect myself, no one else will. And I stole the entire treasury. And then one night, it was time to give up the commitment. I stole like $680 or something, right? Slowly, which is nothing, but it was a lot then. 680 bucks. If someone asked me to pay that bill, I would have crapped my pants. It was so financially insecure at the time. And uh, Matthew Mitchell came to speak at our meeting, was a member of the Hermosa Beach Men's Stag, which I started going to when I was two years sober. And uh, he came to that Wednesday night meeting and he said, we pay back all the money. We pay back all the money. And I'm sitting there because I had paid back enough out of my savings to be the prudent reserve. And I'd made fake donations during the meeting. Said, if anyone would like to see, I made donations in the exact amounts for the 11-7 tradition. Please talk to me after the meeting. Knowing full well, you're all true self-centered to ever come and talk to me. And, uh, and, I, and I had just forgotten because isn't it like that when we're, we're out there and we're drinking and we're using and we take all those habits and bring them into AA? It's just easy to forget the stuff we actually do. It's easy to just justify it in the silence. But I was there sweeping at that crappy job. And I heard Matthew Mitchell's voice in my mind like a raven. We pay back all the money, you know? And I thought, oh my God, I still owe the meeting like 350 bucks, man. And it haunted me. And I talked to my sponsor and I talked to the secretary at the time because I was still going to that meeting. He said, no, you know, my, I talked to my sponsor. He said, just make amends to the people who were, you know, the secretary, the people who were impacted that had commitments there. But, you know, you don't need to make a spectacle of yourself or put yourself on front street. My sponsor at the time, who was this big black guy from Watts, he passed away this last year. Um, he was real intense, real intense. You know, Dave knows. We were like little generals. It was like a little boot camp going around to all these meetings all over LA, all over the place, sponsored, pulling these wet drunks in, everyone paying for everyone else's food. It was like the closest thing to a communist revolution and Alcoholics Anonymous you've ever seen, right? And people would get worried, like, what's going on in there? And was it like demented and chaotic? Absolutely. Were strings being pulled that shouldn't have been pulled? Absolutely. Was it like a borderline cult in Alcoholics Anonymous? Probably. But- it saved a lot of lives at the time. It saved ours. And, uh, and so that sponsor said, oh, is that what the secretary said? That's how we talked, right? He's like, oh, no, Joshua, you're going to stand up in front of all those kind of white people, which is what you say, right? And you're going to tell them you stole their money. So I stand up in front of all those white people. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm like, I stole all your money, man. I stole it all. And if there's, and I paid it back, I gave it to the new treasurer. And if there's anything I can do to make it right, please let me know after the meeting. And then some asshole from the back yells out, you can wash my car, you know? <laughs> and I look at this guy and I've seen him for like five years. I see him always talking to the new girls. So I'm just judging. I'm taking instant inventory. It's like the Terminator. It's like, you know what I mean? I'm like, piece of junk, doesn't work a program, never talks to new people, only here, hair is too feathery to ever have gone through anything in his life, you know? He hasn't lost the natural oils of his scalp yet. This dude isn't even a real drunk. So, um, so I'm just, 
But anyway, I did it. I did it. So all those hard things to do, I did. It sucked, man. It sucked. But I paid back all the money. I went back to all the places and I'd committed insurance fraud in sobriety too. You know, I got, so I picked up this newcomer who was just bad luck and he was sleeping on our couch for a week. Literally everywhere we went, like something bad happened. This guy was just like a, a crater of antimatter, you know? And uh, his name was Joshua and he died. He's dead. And uh, no wonder, I mean, duh, you know, we all knew Joshua was going to die. Um, and I remember this old, this old timer, Jeff Shriver, he told me, it's like, he would always joke with me. I'd say, hey man, Jeff, I got a new sponsor. He's like, ah, oh, Josh, you're not a real sponsor until you kill your first hundred, you know? <laughs> and, uh, well, so all of this is pretty harsh if you believe death is the end. All of this is pretty harsh if you believe your body and the temporary identity that you carry around is the real thing and the ultimate authority on the world. I get it. Joking that way would be offensive if I thought that it ends here. And I don't. Let me ask you a question, all of you. Me, I had, and answer it in your heart. I had like, my dad died of alcoholism when I was 10 years old, right? One day he was there and one day he wasn't. He drank drank himself into a stupor, crossed a foggy Washington road and got struck by a truck. And that person was drunk too. Talk about the law of attraction, you know? And, uh, And I had started running away from home, smoking cigarettes, getting in fights, destroying property. And eventually when I was 12, my mom scooped me up and told me my grandpa was having a heart attack. We went to this little hospital and my grandpa wasn't in the waiting room. Hardly anyone was. And when we went through the back door, they shut it, slid the deadbolt. And I was in a mental institution for the next year. That's where they put me on a bunch of medications. They locked me in a concrete room when I lost my temper. You know, I could tell you a big sob story about how hard it was and how hard it was with all those kids in there with me. And it's like being in prison and wham, 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 wham. You know, but really I was excited. I was like a, a, hearing about all this drama and they told me all about drugs and alcohol in there. All these dual diagnosis kids had already been getting loaded and I got pumped. I was ready to leave, you know, leave the farm and get out there and start getting after it. Um, I looked up to all those kids. I tried to lie and say I did drugs. So they put me in the groups and they wouldn't, you know, they knew I was full of crap like usual, like my sponsor still does. Um, But when all those things happened to me, you have a couple. I was beat. When my mom left my stepdad, she, or my, my dad, she got into an immediate relationship with the son of a gunsmith from Montana who could fix anything. Cowboy. I had my first pair of shit kickers when I was four, learned how to field dress a deer when I was four, had 150 loaded weapons in the house, learned not to touch a, a gun by getting pistol whipped with it. Right. And we got the piss kicked out of us from the time I was four years old to eight and a half and dragged to church four times a week. So I had this youth pastor at the church. We were celebrated in the community. My dad would show up drinking, banging on the door, wanting to see his kid. My dad and his family are from Harlan County, Kentucky. So my dad was a scrapper. And uh, he was born in Louisville, but his whole family, I mean, you just fight whoever disagrees with you, you know, it's a sense of pride, hillbilly. And uh, my dad would show up banging on the door. And this guy who, this cow, he was so country, his middle name was Buster. You know, so Buster would grab a 30-06 and try to kill my dad on the porch. And then we'd stand in front of the rifle. He'd slink off into the night and we'd be at church the next day like nothing happened. 
you know? So remove any of those situations from my life. Do you think I would be the same person I am today? If no one ever put me on medication, would I be the same person? Would you? You know, would you be the same person? Okay. So what? here's a weird thought experiment. What if your personality is coincidental? What if it's opportunistic and it's only a matter of things happening in certain sequence that have made you who you believe you are? What if you were to change one of those key ingredients? Would you have the same stew? Probably not. And so the whole purpose of the thought experiment is to see how fragile our identities are. We think it's this fixed thing in space-time that sees the world for what it really is. Are we right or are we wrong? Maybe we could do with more open-mindedness. Maybe we could do with more silence. Maybe we could do with learning how to laugh at things like death. So that sounds all moralizing. It's not supposed to, it really isn't. I don't give a shit. You know, I don't really have, if I didn't come tonight, me and Anush didn't roll down here to try to give a pitch. You guys have gotten someone else. The universe is a self-correcting organism. It doesn't need me. And yet I'm here. And that's a gift. So I better use it. What am I going to do with the gift I've been given? I was able to walk up here. I was able to use my mind this whole time on the fly to try to communicate something from my heart, which is deep. And I really feel an incredible gratitude for Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, at what time do I stop chatting? Mateo? Yeah, you've got a lot of time. You've got like 17 minutes. 17 minutes. Allow me to impart the secrets of the universe in 17 minutes. I have put LSD in the coffee, and I believe you should all be peaking in about 37 seconds. Oh, just go. Now close your eyes and hear the vibration. <laughs> So one of the things I was wishing for when I came to AA is that I was like, I hope this rascal in me goes away, right? Because I hear people come up here and share. They have these loving relationships and these beautiful lives. And, and I would listen to them share and I would think how I feel. And I would compare how I felt to how they shared. And I would think I wasn't doing something right in AA, right? And so what I did is I threw myself, throw myself harder into the steps and do the Stepford Men's Group. I do the, you know, Dr. Paul pamphlet with a group group five group men I'd, I'd, I'd work that place i'd go to herb k's and get down into the entomology of the word as if bill wilson was thinking about that when he wrote it right like i'll get uh, i will try to turn every stone and try to have a deeper experience with this stuff and at the end of it i was still stuck with selfishness i still really cared about myself and what happened to me and what i got is compared to what you got and i thought i wasn't doing the steps right and I came to this conclusion eventually. I was like, holy shit, I don't think selfishness is ever going away. I'm going to have to learn how to live with it. Instead of trying to get rid of it or worse, trying to pretend it isn't there. Now, all of a sudden, I can't even be honest with you people about how short-sighted, petty, horny, and confused I am. <laughs> Maybe I should just not be on, like, and so what happens is you get a, you become a bleeding deacon for a little while and you pretend to be a lot more spiritual than you are and you don't want to talk about any 15. You look about ready to twitch, okay. Um, just joking, that's, I'm projecting, obviously. Uh, but I kept on waiting for this selfishness to go away and I started realizing, man, it's never gonna go. I'm gonna have to learn how to make, so what, what I did is this. 
Because here's the other thing. Have you ever noticed when you think you're going to lose something, you're afraid to let it go. Mm -hmm. So I was so afraid to really give myself to Alcoholics Anonymous because I thought if I did, selfishness would desert me and I'd be a boring little fuddy-duddy. You know, just showing up like an emperor penguin walking from thing to thing in my life. Like I just didn't, wasn't interested in that. I'm a, I got a little spice in me. I'm a little spicy. And uh, I didn't like it. And, and when I realized that selfishness would never desert me unless I had a complete and total ego death, a unifying experience in which I saw the truth and experienced the truth instead of just seeing it, because I see it all the time, that we're all one, that there is one appearing as many. Do you know how much DNA you share with the tree outside? It all came from the same stuff, people. We've forgotten. And so no, I can know that intellectually and I can have moments where I experience that truth and I'm like, there's nothing to do. That is the sense, if I could put it into words, when or if I have those moments of connection, there's nothing to do. I don't have to do anything. That's right. The Tao, there's a great Taoist, uh, uh, phrase, the great way is not difficult to those who have no preferences. Right? Life is lifing and all I do is follow it. I, what, and what a third step has become for me is I wait for the information and I do what's next. And that has happened. That has served me well in business. I'm in sales, believe it or not. You know, this year, a lot has happened in this 20th year of my sobriety. I was, everything in my life has to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's all Alcoholics Anonymous, like Anusha was saying, right? My beautiful girlfriend, wonderful girlfriend, super hot, way younger than me. And uh, <laughs> way more education from a way better family. I met her in an airport. I was out leading a men's retreat in North Dakota and I missed my flight on the way back because like I said, I'm sloppy and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with being sloppy in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was, I was literally up on a 16 foot ladder, 20 minutes before these guys showed up, all fully dressed, ready to go, trying to put an AC unit in my attic with, with a spot CMI. And we had bent the brass pipe. And I'm like, bro, and I can't let this thing go and I gotta get ready to come to the meeting. My life is like that all the time, but you just ride the wave, you know? That's it, it isn't neat. It's never neat. It's like spaghetti. You know, it all just kind of all the noodles touch all the other noodles and you could try to put them into boxes if you want, but it ain't going to happen. And uh, so you got to learn how to go with the flow. You got to learn how to do a little bit of life jujitsu. And uh, and so I I ended up. Um, what the hell was I talking about? <laughs> Oh, my beautiful girlfriend. So thank you. Yeah. Dude, I hope I listen like you when I got your time sober, bro. And thanks for coming, man. I really, really look up to you. Uh, and uh, so my girl, I, I missed my flight. I'm sitting in the wrong area. I'm nearsighted. Fluorescent lights drive me crazy. These might be LEDs though, because we're in Orange County. But um, I, I was looked and it said Washington DCs and I'm in O'Hare and there's only one flight leaving that night. And I got work the next day because I'm still in a different position at this time at work, not the one I'm in now. And, uh, and I rush all the way across the airport and they're like, it's queuing up right now. And I rush to the other side again. And I'm covered in sweat by the time I get there. And there's this old couple talking about just coming back from Ireland. I've always wanted to go to Ireland. And, uh, 
And I start talking to them about where they were and how it was. And a girl pipes in, oh, I just got back from Ireland. And she says, oh, you're like that because that's where her family's from. She's not, she doesn't have an accent. Her father's from Wexford. And, uh, and we start talking and she's like, oh yeah, I just came back from there. And I'm like, and we had a great conversation. And at this time in my life, I was doing what's called the horny phase in Alcoholics Anonymous, where literally you sleep with everyone in effort to try to annihilate self. And I don't know if you've ever had that. Some people might be married, but I'll tell you what, a lot of young people die, get drunk, get loaded again, because they can't deal with sex issues, which are real. Relationship issues happen here in Alcoholics Anonymous. We get horny, you know, and it's not evil, but we got to learn how to talk about it. We got to learn how to still work through it. We got to learn how to figure out what we like or don't like doing so that we can get to the next phase of our own evolution. And if we hide it in the closet, like a dirty little Victorian secret, nothing ever gets better. That's just an opinion. Like my sponsor would say, it's a pretty good one. Uh, and so I hit on her and I send her, I slide into those DMs and uh, I get her into her IG. And, and then she's like, you know what? You were really cool. I had a great conversation with you. I'm sorry I gave you that impression, but I have a boyfriend. And I said, well, when you find yourself without one, you should say hello. <laughs> and uh, three months later, she says hello. And we've been together, seeing each other for five years. You know, it wasn't, it was casual for a long time because we were both commitment folks, but I've really fallen in love with this girl and she's really fallen in love with me. We live together. We just bought a house this year in the South Bay with so much, a ridiculous amount of land for where we bought it. We got lucky. It was a piece of junk and we just walked right instead of walking left. I was walking my dog on the green belt between Lawndale and Redondo beach. And I went, I usually go left and I went right. And there was a for sale sign. And I used to live in this neighborhood once upon a time. And I always used to walk past this one house that was filled with like not great people. Didn't keep the property up. Lots of vehicles, all that stuff. Cause there's all this land. I used to think, man, what a lot that would be. Someone could buy that lot. That is a perfect investment starter. That's how you start your portfolio with a lot like that. Zoned R3, you know? And, uh, and so I, I went right and it said for sale. I called, they say, Hey, we, it's tenant occupied, but we're having our first open house today. I walk up, she said, I started talking to her and she's like, Oh, you know, my husband just got sober. I'm like, I am 19 years sober. And next thing you know, I'm got an offer in on Tuesday, but then two, two weeks before it happens, first, we're afraid these tenants aren't going to leave. They got 10 kids or 12 kids, including adult kids with siblings living on vans in the property. Four, four animals, all sorts of crazy, and then so much junk contractors, so much junk everywhere. And we think these people aren't going to leave. They're going to squat. We're so afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. I'm forced to trust. You know, then we find out two weeks before it's happening that there's this big uh, violation on the property. And so we start arguing with the city. I'm trying not to because I want to, you know, disassociate. I'm just trying to be strategic. I'm trying to be strategic. And what happens every time in my life is when I'm, my strategies get thrown out the window and I'm forced to be authentic. Your strategy will only take you so far. And I get down to that city council meeting right before I'm about to close escrow that week. And, and basically the thing they're asked the city, according to the seller that's asking us to fix is going to cost $130,000. And I go up to the city council right before Christmas and I stand up and I say, guys, you have 70% rentership here. I'm a homeowner. I'm going to clean up that neighborhood. Look, I, I was, I was a drunk and a drug addict. I came from the, I was raised by wolves on the wrong side of the railroad tracks and I shouldn't be by at home, but I have been the benefactor of the kindness of strangers my entire life. And what I am asking for again tonight, humble civil servants is clemency. And is for, I'm yet again, appealing to the kindness of strangers. 
and everyone loves a Christmas miracle. So can you help me find a cost-effective way to, to get this house? And one after the other, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. What was going to cost $130,000 ends up being a $5,000 permit, you know? And we get in there. My life is like that over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden we get in there and we look underneath the thing and all my sponsees happened to be in a trade and they all showed up for me. And one was the contractor, one's the AC guy, one with who that my friends in New Orleans sent me. He was, he's like, my dad's run a painting company his whole life and he didn't want to paint, but he'd paint, you know, he needed a job real bad. Could, could I hire him for 20 bucks an hour? You know, professional painter. All of it, just, I didn't have to organize any of it. No strategy was involved. And we live in this beautiful home in a place where we want to live. It's a great starter home. It's a great investment. This, this year I became partner in the company I've worked for for 18 years. You know, like I, I have, uh, when I was writing, I'm getting back into that side of my life. But for a time, a guy in AA asked me to come and just help him record the sound for this writer's convention. While I was there, I sat in one. I love writing. I love telling stories. I love language, you know? and and I sat in one class that told me how to write a query letter, one that how to do an elevator pitch, one after I'd record them. By the end of the weekend, I knew what to do. And there was a keynote speaker from a big literary firm there. We start rapping in the hallway because that's what I do. I just talk to people. And next thing you know, he's like, oh, so you're a musician. I'm like, yeah, well, I play music, but I'm a writer. He's like, well, what are you writing? Boom, I got my pitch. Tell me more. Boom, I got the longer pitch because I just figured it out. God, I couldn't have created that. Next thing I know, I've got representation from one of the largest literary firms. You know, it didn't end up working out in the long run and stuff happened in my life, but I, God gave me so many gifts and it's a crime not to use them. We can go ahead and play the false humility card, but each one of you guys is good at something. And the way we tap into the purpose in our lives is to find a way to use what we're good at to make the world better. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is. That's what it can be, right? We have a lot of belief systems here in how many minutes? One, two. Oh, man, you guys are really screwed. My social security number is fine. No, I'm just joking. The craziest part about this journey in Alcoholics Anonymous is I thought that the 12 steps were additive. And there's a lot of people. How many of you think that, have you ever heard the phrase, you've got a God-shaped hole? Yeah. I want to give you guys another idea to try on for size. I heard that too, and I know what it's trying to articulate. I get the ideas that it's saying that you got a problem that only a higher power can solve, right? But what if there is no hole? What if there is no God-shaped hole? What if that hole is in the mind? What if that hole is an illusion, which is why nothing can ever fill it? What if that is why an alcoholic, and what if that hole's name is self? Manifest in various forms that defeat us time and time again. That's why you come in here. Now you got the one. Alan Watts used to talk about the ego switching rooms on you. The cops come in and the robbers run on the second floor. And the cops come to the second floor. That's your awareness. And the robbers are your ego. You get alcoholism and drug addiction under wraps. Now it's on the second floor. And now we're spiritual gurus. And then you get through that and you see, oh, my God, I just got caught in the midst of an affair or stealing all the money from the meeting or whatever. And like that show is over. And then all of a sudden, now you're into making money. I'm moving green, baby, right? And or whatever it is, your next ego trip, self-manifest in various forms, or with the gambling, the sex addiction, you name it. But it happens in here undercover all the time because self is what manifests in various forms to defeat us. But what if that whole self isn't real? 
What if it's an ego trip? What if you're complete, but just confused? What if you're looking at it from the wrong area? What if, what if you haven't yet tuned to the right frequency? And so what if the tw- so all of a sudden the 12 steps became this subtractive process. They're not additive. I'm not missing stuff. I literally came out perfect the way I was and I had to suffer the way I did. You know, and it's like a, it's like a forest. A forest doesn't let anything go to waste. Anything that dies in the forest is used by the forest. Everything feeds everything else. That's how our lives are. The suffering, the shortcomings, the ways you stumble, all the stuff you regret, that is fodder for the rest of the forest. That's how it grows. And I started to realize that the 12 steps were subtractive, not additive. And when I was five years sober and I was dying, and I'll shut up soon, I, I would, with that one sponsor, I knew I had to leave. It was too much ego. I was in so much pain. I was judging everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous, thinking I was better than them. And at the same time, knowing I wasn't just doing a charade and it hurt. And I remember calling Bill Cleveland crying because I was like, I don't want to leave this group. I judged everyone else in AA, all you fornicators and energy drinkers and gamblers, you know, they weren't living in the hot white light of Bill Wilson. And uh, I just didn't want to associate. And um and I went over to Bill's house and I, and, and I called him in the middle of the night. It was a Wednesday and Bill Cleveland had been sponsoring me on the side for a while, a little bit, just, I was talking to him. I really looked up to him and it was a Wednesday night and this guy was old and he was had an advanced liver disease that was already eaten at him. And he let me into his home and he told me to come over. And I was waiting for him to do what every single person in my life has done. When I was kicked out of high school at the beginning of 11th grade and continuation school and independent studies and never got homeschooled, got a GED in sobriety, you know, like I, 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 people in authority sit me down to tell me what's wrong with me, why I'm screwed. And I was looking at Bill and I was waiting for him. I was waiting for him to thump me in the chest and say, when's the last inventory you did? You know, when did you, what, what, how, you made all your amends? Turn to this page. What does it say on page this? I was waiting for the KGB interrogation to begin, you know? And uh, he looked at me and he said, buddy, you're okay. You're okay the way you are. You're okay. And he started crooning me and he transformed me without my intellect picking up on it. It was the first time I realized that the 12 steps are not additive. They're subtractive. We pair away untruth, the falsehood, the things we use to survive in the world on our way here. And one by one, we get to let those go. If we're open-minded, if we keep showing up, if we chop the wood and carry the water until we get down to the essence of what we are, which is there is no whole. It's an illusion. You are complete. Thank you.